Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the ninth episode. I'm finally recording after just a whirlwind of a weekend. Um, Nikita Mazepin was the last driver to sport number nine on his car, meaning it should be his episode of the podcast, how I start every episode. Um, but I also wanted to shout Marcus Erickson, who was at the Miami Grand Prix. He also wore number nine. And I'm not really quite sure whether I should be having a Nikita Mazepin episode of the podcast for obvious reasons. Um, but I guess uh, his episode being this episode, because uh, this has been kind of shambles, makes a lot of sense that it's Nikita Mazepin. But, uh, you know, I'm, re- I'm recording on a Tuesday, of course, uh, which is a day late, so I apologize again. It was my birthday yesterday. I was in Cleveland all weekend. And, uh, you know, I still watched F1, so I I will know what I'm talking about. It's not like I skipped the race and I'm still recording a show. I saw it all. I saw the entire weekend. And I really want to give you guys a great show because you guys deserve it. It's the Miami Grand Prix. This is supposed to be one of my favorite episodes to record. And it is. It's just a day late. So let's get right into this race review. It's lights out and away we go. So usually I don't spend much time talking about practice. Well, actually, I don't spend any time talking about practice, but I thought it was worth mentioning a couple things. Uh, Mercedes looked very handy on Friday, especially in FP2, and George Russell went quickest of anyone uh, with the new upgrades on that W13, but on Saturday, they faded once again, an awful FP3, not really a great qualifying, um, but, you know, there's also quite a few moments from drivers uh, in practice, especially at that uh, weird um, turn 14-15 chicane. Um, a lot of people going off right before that. It was, uh, it was not not great. And also Max Verstappen uh, not getting much running at all in practice, dealing with a few issues with his car. Cost him heaps of laps in practice running. Um, so let's get let's get into qualifying now. Ocon he didn't take part due to a huge shunt that I'll be talking about in a moment. Um, but drivers missing out in Q1 were Nicholas Latifi, Alex Albon, uh, who actually looks very strong in practice all weekend, and then the pace from the Williams just seemed to disappear. Zhou Guanyu, who seems to be struggling a bit of, uh, as of late, but also getting a bit unlucky. It's a shame for him. And Kevin Magnussen, who also seemed to struggle for most of the weekend. He was somebody who I think really struggled with that turn that I just mentioned. The one right before the chicane, sweeping left-hander. A lot of people seemed to, I don't know if it was a setup issue, just really needing the uh, maximum grip going around that corner. Um, But he he had to be disappointed with that result in qualifying, uh, you know, being that this is an American race. It's really his only home race, as he mentioned. There is no Danish Grand Prix, you know, Kevin Magnussen's from Denmark. He doesn't have a home race. This is essentially his home race, uh, that and Coda. So he definitely would have been disappointed with that P16. But, you know, we move on to Q2. We get two surprising eliminations from here. Uh, and George Russell and Daniel Ricciardo. Russell only gets one clean lap, really, and Daniel seemed to make an error on his final push. Uh, he was on on track to uh, make it into Q3, but I think a little error in Sector 3 cost him his shot at Q3. Uh, McLaren just didn't seem to have great pace this weekend here at all, though, um, but he was significantly behind Lando, who in Q two i think finished third or fourth he had a great lap 
Um, so really no excuses from Daniel at this point. He's really got to start getting on top of this car. I've seen some people talk about him. You know, last year we gave him a bit of a pass, you know, brand new car. And Lando is a world-class driver. But he, Lando's just outclassing Daniel at this point. But, you know, I don't really, this, I'm not getting into that. This is a race review. I can maybe discuss that on a different episode. Finally, in Q3, uh, Leclerc and Sainz, they top the timing sheets, make it the first Ferrari front-row lockout since Mexico 2019. Leclerc led every single session, Q1, Q2, and Q3. Uh, the Red Bulls of Verstappen and Perez slotted in behind them. Uh, Bottas with an amazing session, qualifying fifth, ahead of Hamilton in sixth. I guess going back to Max, he was uh, probably on track for a pole position. He was looking great in really all throughout qualifying. Um, and in that last lap, I think he was probably looking like he was going to be on pole, but a little mistake on his last lap, didn't have enough time to do anything about it, get around for another one. He was essentially done. His uh, banker lap was good for uh, P3. Um, but yeah, AlphaTauri, I want to talk about them, Red Bull's sister team. They had a very strong qualifying session. Seventh with Gasly, who looked very handy in qualifying. And Sonoda and P9, that's very good for a team in Imola, who in qualifying were both out in Q1. So a good little turnaround in qualifying pace for them. Norris was sandwiched in between the Alpha Towers and P8. And Lance Stroll took the final spot in Q3, qualifying 10th. However, a very solid qualifying session for the Aston Martins uh, saw both of them... Well, it didn't really matter because both of them had to start from the pit lane due to a fuel temperature problem. Very unfortunate for them. So let's talk about the race. Uh, Max gets a very, well, Leclerc probably had the best start out of anyone. Um, and that probably helped Max. You know, he had a good start. And if the car in front of you is getting the best start, you got lots of space to, uh, you don't have to worry about slowing down and running into the back of him. Uh, but, you know, they're also on the clean side of the grid. Max Pip signs with a really nice late break. Nothing really signs could do about it. Um, so he gets a crucial overtake done right there uh, to move up to P2 right off the bat. Um, also at the start, Hamilton fell two spots. Uh, he got he, he locked up in a turn one, kind of got boxed in a little bit. And then Alonso, he overtakes him, taps him on the rear and, you know, Lewis thought he had damage from that, but I don't think he did. I think he was just a little worried. Maybe it was in his head. I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, Russell, the other Mercedes, he also falls back. He was on the hard tire, of course, and I think that the hard struggled a little bit at the start. Um, so really bad start for Mercedes. Um, Aston's obviously not taking their spot on the grid, too. So George fell, even though two spots, two free spots were for the taking, basically. Um, and Haas actually, after a pretty poor qualifying in P15 and P16, moved up to 12th and 13th. Pretty good starts for both cars. Uh, by lap nine, Max had passed Charles for the lead, uh, and Hamilton had fought back up to six, passing Gasly on the straight really nicely, and also getting Alonso back from when he, I guess, tapped him on the rear. Um, and at this point, Russell was still back in 14th. Hamilton was trying to catch Bottas, that was kind of the battle for most of the race. Um, and those who pitted early from the mediums, this is much after lap nine, I, the Hasses came in uh, first, I don't remember exactly what lap, but it was in the teens, um, and the the strategy looked kind of good at, at the start, you know, the Hasses actually got ahead of Norris, who pitted later than them, 
but still kind of early. They they got past Norris, and but once they ran into the traffic of the hard tire runners, um, most notably Ocon um, and the Aston Martins, who started from the pit lane, um, they kind of started to fall back because they were stuck in that traffic. It was hard to overtake, and their new hard tire didn't really have much more pace than their slightly older hard tire uh, competitors that were ahead of them. So it was clear in the middle of the race that uh, those who started with the hards were going to go all the way to the end, hoping for a safety car. Their pace was still pretty solid. They weren't falling off. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. We got that late safety car. I'm going to get into that in a second. But I, I should also mention that the top four of Max, Charles, Carlos, and Checo were way ahead of the rest of the field at this point. Um... Perez was starting to catch signs, but then had a bit of a power unit issue, uh, said he was losing power, kind of had a long um, discourse with his engineer over almost the course of an entire lap. It felt like uh, Perez saying he's losing time, uh, and then they're saying there's no issue with the power unit, and then he's like, man, I'm losing power, and then they say, oh, it, you just don't have the toe. He's like, I, I know like I'm losing power, and right I'm in the car. I'm losing power. Anyway, it was this huge exchange. But anyway, it really cost Perez. He had to manage that the whole race. And, you know, the top four finished in that order. Uh, But I guess I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. That safety car that I was mentioning really benefited all those hard tire runners. Russell being um, the lead of the hard tire runners. He pits under the safety car, comes out with fresh rubber right behind Hamilton and Bottas, who were kind of battling for that fifth, sixth position the whole race. So George, he scraps with uh, with Hamilton a little bit, and Bottas had a bit of a mistake uh, running off offline. Um, and basically, anyone who ran offline at this track into like the dirty uh, parts of the track suffered massively. Just had no grip. They lo- always lost like multiple positions. Even if you had like a bit of a gap, you were losing positions. That's how little grip was out there. But yeah, Russell makes through them both, and he continues his streak of five consecutive um or sorry well it is five consecutive actually but i meant to say um all races so far uh p5 finishes it's kind of funny that this is the fifth round so that kind of worked out that i made that mistake anyway but you know great job for russell um got lucky again and it seems every safety car has helped russell and not helped lewis but you know it's okay i don't think lewis is too hurt that you know his teammate is ahead of him at this point they're not really fighting for anything they're comfortably third in the constructors they have really no shot at going for the drivers so i think it's just about maximizing the weekend and doing doing what they can but anyway i kind of got ahead of myself there a little bit talking about where george and lewis finished um but i want to go back and talk about the incident that created the safety car between Lando Norris and Pierre Gasly. First of all, the incident was more Pierre's fault. So what basically happens was Pierre, like I said, he goes on to the, uh, well, I guess I was talking about Bottas, but he goes on, he goes offline and he loses grip, loses multiple positions. I think both Astons go through, maybe a Haas as well. Um, And at this point, Gasly was, I think, in the points. Um, But, you know, those cars go through. And as Lando is kind of catching up, he had more speed than Pierre at this point. Pierre should have seen that Lando was coming in his mirrors and just let him through. But Lando at the same time is right in the middle of the track. He could move over way to the left. Um, and, you know, 
both of them could do more to avoid it and that's exactly what happens pierre comes across the track they kind of interlock wheels and lando sent flying and i think pierre had enough damage to have to retire from the race um but yes predominantly pierre's fault i think if he just looks in his mirrors he should know lando's coming in with a pretty high closing speed just get out of the way but uh what i thought was interesting is after the race i hear lando's talking about well he called the incident silly which i i agree but he heard that pierre was going to retire anyway possibly and he said if that was true then it was just completely senseless from Pierre's part and kind of ruined a chance at one or two points. He said P9, maybe even P8 was on the cards. Um, and I tend to agree with Lando there. If Pierre was going to retire anyway, what are you doing? Like, really, you're you're costing your own team having to, you know, repair the damage on your car, but you're also just ruining a race for another driver completely unnecessarily. Um, but... I don't know, I, I have no confirmation on that, and that is what Lando said, I'm not, that, that's simply just what Lando said, I haven't heard anything else about that, um, but yeah, this also completely changed the outcome of the race for the midfield, like I said, for Russell, he was probably looking at a P7, uh, but then that also, that, that safety car helps him move up to P5 instead, it also helps Ocon go from 20th to P8, brilliant recovery from him, uh, to bag some points for Alpine after that huge 51G crash in FP3 that he had. Completely totaled his car. Um, his pace in the hard tire was very impressive, and the team's work to get the car ready for the race was incredible as well. So really good job from Alpine there to get some get some points from Ocon's car. Um, and the last bit of recap I want to bring up before I just run through the points finishes is the other big incident between Seb and Mick. I haven't really mentioned where they are in this recap, but at this point, both of them are looking at points finishes. Mick, Mick points finish. If you don't know this at this point, he has not scored any points in F1. And these guys are friends on the grid. If you want to call it friends, I see it as friends, but some people like to see it as Seb is like a father figure to Mick, or at least just a role model. But anyway, these guys are close. Um, so it just made it even more painful to watch. Both could have done more to avoid it. And, you know, points are at a premium for Aston Martin as well. But we really want to see Mick score his first. Um, and I think if I were to put more blame on one or the other, I would have to lean Mick. I think this one was a little bit more 50-50 than the Lando and Pierre incident. Um, but Mick was clearly hungry for a great result going up the inside. He said it was clearly his corner on the radio and Seb had something to say along the lines of, uh, what gap was that? I didn't see that meaning like he just didn't see a gap for Mick to come in. It was just a, like, what was he doing essentially? Um, but it was just so unnecessary. Of course, hindsight is 2020. I know what happened. I know what the result would have been had they not crashed, but had they just held position, had Mick just not sent it up the middle, had Vettel just given a little bit of space for another driver, even if they swapped positions, they both would have scored points. Alonso at this point was ahead of them, already had a five-second penalty. I'm not sure if Haas had made that clear to Mick or not, that you know he was going to gain another position had they just held position because Alonso was five seconds. Um... But, you know, they just completely blew it, and it's an absolute shame. I was watching with my girlfriend, and I was telling her the whole time, you know, look, Mick's, Mick's about to score his first points in F1. He's driving really great. 
way better than his teammate for a change. Uh, he's going to do it. And then have that happen was just so disappointing. Um, but, you know, that little scuffle helped Alex Albon score his second points finish of the season from P18 to P9. We had a few really great drives. They were all kind of luck involved, but distill from go from that far back all the way up. It's a great drive. Um, and the tie driver, Alex Albon, is kind of carrying Williams on his back at this point. Latifi, I think, just had his best results of the season, but there was Alonso, or sorry, Magnuson and Vettel. They were classified, but they didn't finish the race. Joe DNF'd. Lando DNF. Gasly didn't finish. Schumacher, essentially, he did finish. He crossed the line, but way behind because of the because of the accident. So, and I think one person finished behind. Maybe it was I, I don't know. Some I think one person finished behind Latifi, who like finished nor in the normal circumstances. Um, but it was still like P14 for Latifi. So Albon is just completely carrying that team right now. Um, but anyway, let's go into the order of the top 10. Uh, Max Verstappen P1, Charles Leclerc in P2, Carlos Sainz in P3. As I predicted, just wanted to mention that. However, the margin was not as large as I said in my bold prediction. I had Max finishing P1 by over 20 seconds, although... Um, well, the safety car didn't really allow that to happen regardless, but it was a very comfortable race for Max after he had passed Charles up until the safety car um, brought them back together. Had Max had a little bit more reliability in practice, I think he could have been on pole, and that actually could have been um, a scenario that we could have seen. But I also predicted reliability would end Sergio Perez's race, and he did have a power issue but it was not terminal, so still a great drive from Checo to take P4. In P5, we had the king of consistency, George Russell, followed by his teammate, Lewis Hamilton. These two had a bit of a scrap, but Lewis's older tires proved no match for George's fresh rubber. P7 was Valtteri Bottas, who was driving a brilliant race ahead of the Mercs until that small mistake going offline, like I mentioned, caused him to lose positions. P8 on track was Fernando Alonso. But two five-second penalties. He got another one post-race um, that put him in 11th. So P8 was awarded to Ocon. P9 was Albon. And P10 was Lance Stroll, who was promoted to the final point-scoring position due to another penalty by Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, that meant McLaren's best finish this weekend was P13. Not good. So the Drivers' Championship still sees Leclerc lead by only 19 points now um, to Max. Uh, Perez stays ahead of Russell in P3. Uh, Sainz remains in P5, only 6 points behind Russell in P4. Lewis reclaims P6 in the Championship ahead of Norris in P7. Uh, while Bottas hangs right behind the two Brits in P8. 5 points behind Lando and 6 behind Lewis. Ocon takes more points to stay in P9, and a Magnuson, who scores nothing, stays in P10. In the Constructors, Red Bull is right on the tail of Ferrari, trailing by only 6 points now. Mercedes, comfortable third, 56 points behind P2, 49 points ahead of McLaren in P4. Alfa Romeo leads Alpine P5 and P6. Alfa Tauri and Haas both didn't score any points, so the sister Red Bull team still has a one-point advantage over Haas in a battle for 7th, while Aston loses ground to Williams by one point this weekend in the battle for P9. I predicted that each team would score at least 8 points this year uh, before the season had started, and through 5 rounds, each team already has at least 3, so that prediction is looking good. 
if Williams and Aston Martin can improve their cars, we might see double digits for everyone. Um, so I wanted to talk about just some overall thoughts of Miami. This is the first time we've obviously had this Grand Prix. Um, so I just wanted to say, you know, I think the track is fine. I don't know the European crowd, um, and I'm not trying to make enemies here, but I don't know if they're just very protective of their traditional tracks or what, but it seems like this whole weekend got a ridiculous amount of unwarranted hate. Is this track Silverstone? Hell no. But was this still a decent weekend? Absolutely. Of course, it was overhyped. It's the United States. It's the first one that we've had. Um, Liberty, Liberty Media has had this whole plan to capture the attention of the states, which it has done. There's plenty of stats to back that up. But all these United States Grand Prix are going to be very, very hyped up. But, you know, the whole fake marina hate was just so silly. It was. I thought it was actually cool seeing it during the race. It made sense, and I found out that it was actually like uh, they were trying to promote these yachts, like they're trying to sell them. So I thought that made perfect sense. There was some decent racing. Sure, it wasn't amazing, it wasn't top tier, but it was better than what we just had in Imola. I mean, Imola was very boring compared to the United States Grand Prix, or sorry, the Miami Grand Prix. Um, but, you know, there are aspects of this weekend that are very fun. You know, it, it's beautiful. Like, for a car park, it's beautiful. They that, that party they had on Thursday to kick off the weekend, that was really cool. You know, it was good fun. Um, as for some technical stuff with the track, though, I, I personally hated the slow speed section under the freeway. Um, like I said, a few big crashes into the Red Bull barrier in practice there. Um, that sloppy turn 14-15 chicane. I get why some people like it. It's the most challenging part of the track, but I don't know. It was just, it was just sloppy. And you know, the, the drivers, they wanted a tech pro barrier before that chicane. Cause like I said, a bunch of people went off there. Signs had a 40 something G crash there in practice. Ocon was 51 and, um, the FIA didn't oblige, which I thought was very odd. You know, they seem to be very focused on safety this year, calling red flags early and, they seem to like be quick on the trigger with the flags during the race but then when it comes to like an actual safety measure they don't they don't even seem to um oblige it at all um sure signs and ocon were okay but they both reported soreness like body soreness from their impacts and like just because they survived and didn't have any serious injuries doesn't mean that something shouldn't be done about that so I thought that was kind of a weird kind of um, tidbit from the weekend. But anyway, let's get into my prize, demise, and surprise for the weekend. So usually I try to avoid just picking the race winner for my prize. But this weekend I got to give it to Max. Uh, he gets a crucial overtake, done on signs in a turn one, breezes past Claire on, on lap nine. Had easily the best race pace out of anyone this weekend, uh, and he did it with next to no practice. Uh, and no running, basically, because of those car issues. So, yeah, Max was flawless, and you have to tip your cap to him after that one. So, he's my prize, and I thought about it, you know, there were some other great drives, like I said, like George and Ocon and Albon. Um, but even Lewis, like, he maximized what he did. Bottas would have been up there, probably maybe would have been my pick had it wouldn't have been for that mistake. But... He was still in consideration. Great drive from him. But, you know, the the best driver this weekend was Max. And you have to give him the prize here. There's really no one else 
in contention. No honorable mention for me. Um, but the demise, this one, not a driver, but it was easy. It goes to the McLaren team. Uh, Norris was better than Daniel on pace most of the weekend. But, you know, that silly, avoidable air with Gasly ruins his chance at salvaging any points for the team. Um, I didn't really like McLaren's strategy. Uh, Daniel's penalty also cost him points. Um, it was just a brutal weekend, and, you know, they probably deserved it after selling those shirts that had Lando win on them. Um, I guess, like, it does make sense putting something on that because, you know, you want your fans to cheer for Lando to win a race, but that's just jinxing yourself, man. The only W this team had this weekend was their driver's race helmets. I love Daniels with the Ace Ventura reference. That's one of my favorite comedy flicks ever. And Lando's basketball helmet was awesome. So I'll give them that dub, but basically the rest of the weekend was a massive L. Um, my surprise, this was the hardest surprise I've had to pick so far. Uh, honestly, watching like, the whole weekend, I wasn't really surprised with too much, to be fair. Um, I guess that FIA decision was kind of surprising. Um, Mercedes' lack of pace on Saturday after what they did on Friday was surprising. But I think what I will pick is how well the hard tire worked in comparison to the medium. Um, it, it, yeah, not really, this, like, this is kind of a lame pick, I guess, but the, the hards, the hards worked a treat here. Obviously that safety car helped all the hard tire runners massively, but you know, after the, after a bit of a rough start for those runners, that initial advantage the mediums had, the hard compound was virtually the same as the medium and it had less degradation. So it was just a much better race tire. And, you know, all those hard tire runners made up positions in the Grand Prix. The safety car helped that. But I think the strategy would have worked regardless for them. So just how much better the hard tire was as a race tire. Because the softs were unusable as a race tire. So the hards were by far the best race tire. And I thought that was pretty surprising. I want to talk about some funny moments from this weekend though. So this is not a segment that I will be continuing by any means, but you know, leave it to an American Grand Prix to have enough funny moments to me for me to spend time and make a whole segment out of this. Um, and I think the highlight, or I guess the main event, if you will, of the funny moments is easily Brundle's gridwalk. We have to talk about this. This, I don't want to say went viral, but was talked about a lot on socials and from F1 fans um, because this was this was quite the gridwalk. Brundle does them all the time, but this one stands out, you know. I really feel for Martin after this one, you know, such a respected former F1 driver and Sky Sports media member for years now, and he got big-timed by every celebrity on that gridwalk. Only a few of them actually gave them their time of day, like, whatsoever. Um, but he also had some cringy moments himself, most notably mistaking college basketball star Paulo Bancaro for uh, NFL quarterback Patrick Mahomes. That was not a good look. Um, they do somewhat look alike, but just calling him Patrick multiple times, and Paulo must have been like, what the hell? But... <laughs> Oh, I'm laughing just thinking about it. That was so awkward. And then, you know, the, the part with Venus. Venus does, Venus Williams, I should say, um, does answer one of his questions. But then he, like, weirdly follows her holding the mic. She's not even looking. And then 
like she answered his question initially and then he just like weirdly follows her and then she acknowledges him and she's like oh sorry did you ask her another question and he's like oh it doesn't matter and then just bails out like why were you following her then man like <laughs> i don't know um so that was really awkward too um at one point this one was this one bothered me so he's he's on the grid i think he had just talked to david beckham who he also had to chase down after it looked like beckham ran away from him and then he finds beckham again and Beckham does answer a question, but then when he says, who are you rooting for? Beckham just says, we'll see, which I, I think is funny. Um, but anyway, then he's looking for another star to talk to. And he's got Dwayne freaking Wade right in front of him. One of the biggest Miami sports stars there is, besides like Dan Marino. Um, and he just walks right past him. Like he has no idea who he is. And that's when he actually went and found uh, Paolo. Um, but then he speaks to DJ Khaled and Dwayne Wade interrupts the interview with DJ Khaled and Brundle still has no idea who he is. So I was like thinking, I'm like, Brundle, come on, man. If you got a, if you know who Patrick Mahomes is, you should know who Dwayne Wade is in Miami. Come on, man. Um, and then probably the funniest part of it was the quote unquote social media sensation guy. Um, I say that because Brundle just goes up to some random guy, I feel like. He probably got the idea that this guy was, like, a famous guy and says, I don't know who you are, but I would like to know. And this guy goes, I'm a social media sensation. Let's just say that. And Brundle just says, modest, too. Oh, my God. I was laughing when he said that. That was so funny. Um but that guy argu arguably big-timed Brundle more than anyone. And I have no idea who that guy was. So I don't know who you think you are, man. But come on. At least answer some questions. Um, but yeah, calling him modest was just hilarious. Uh, and then, you know, Brundle tweets after saying he hates doing the grid walk. Which I thought was kind of interesting because he does them at every race. Um, but, you know, he admitted that those moments, those crazy moments have defined his career and I think it's true I think the gridwalk is some of the most memorable moments he's had as a Sky Sports media member so but that's not the only funny moment you know the, the gridwalk had plenty of funny moments but there's a few other ones uh this is actually my personal favorite more than anything that happened on the gridwalk the former race car driver Willie T Ribs was he was the first African-American to test a Formula One car and he was there all weekend. Um, he he gets interviewed after the race by someone in F1. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name. Um, but he's talking about the race. And he calls Charles Chuck Leclerc. <laughs> that was the funniest thing to me. I still, I still laugh just thinking about Chuck Leclerc. Like, that sounds so American. Just because some people with the name Charles go by Chuck does not make Charles Leclerc. Chuck LeClaire. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even I can't even contain my laughter just thinking about Chuck LeClaire. <laughs> uh I mean that's I laughed so hard at that the first time I heard that. Oh man, Willie T, come on. Chuck LeClaire. Uh if, just imagine if someone named someone named William was on the grid and he just Oh yeah, Billy. Billy LeClaire. <laughs> like you can't just change their name. Like I know William becomes Bill, but like he just changes their name. Oh, that was that was hilarious. And I guess the last thing that I thought 
This was more just cringy than funny. Those damn podium hats, if you want to call them hats, that was awful. Like, putting a freaking football helmet on... Sure, these guys just did 57 laps around a football stadium, but those little football helmets that they had on their head was just absolutely ridiculous. The podium hats are cool, and you just ruined it by turning into a football helmet. Um, Seeing that picture of Max holding the trophy with the football helmet... Like, out of context, that is just straight-up disturbing. I, I never want to see that again, F1. Just, that was awful. Please, throw that in the scrap bin. I want to say, I want to see this a few years down and just be one of those moments that everyone is like, what were they thinking? Yeah, those helmets were brutal. Anyway, uh, that's really all I got, as I do before the end of every episode. A quick shout-out to a brilliant sim racing league, uh, an RLR, Raleigh Gracing. Uh, the Champions Division, which I race in, is at the Hungaro Ring this Friday. And the Premier Division is also underway now. And they race every Monday this week there in Bahrain. Uh, if you want to check out the league, go to YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook and look up Raw League Racing to get uh, the races with commentary. Or if you want to watch my personal streams, you can go to my Twitch channel, B-Crazy, uh, to watch my personal streams. So that will do it for the Mazepin slash Ericsson episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 10 next Monday to preview the always entertaining Spanish Grand Prix. That was sarcasm, by the way. Goodbye.